No. Rolling. No, I'm not. Oh. I'm not. <laughs> you want to talk about no, the Hall I of Fame again? I lost what I wanted to lead with. No, I found it. There okay. it is. Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 1006, January 25th, 2023. 58 degrees was the high on this day. That was in 1944. 44. And it was 31 below in 1904. Oh, boy, that would have been a chilly winter carnival in 1904. Hell yeah. Why am I having Here's some... where we, we go through this now. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake. Why? It's Garage Logic with Chris Reavers manning Technology Corner. Kenny Olson from the Krabby Coffee Shop, John Hyde in the newsroom, and of course, the rookie. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and the keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushir. I got a note from David Bliss, a philosopher from Sofia, Bulgaria, Okay. writing today from Athens, Greece. Hmm. And he said, I have a couple of thoughts on yesterday's show. A listener named Adam suspected that the roads of the Twin Cities are purposely being neglected to cause people to want to abandon cars in favor of public transportation. I have more on that in a moment from a distant city. I live in a country with poorly husbanded roads. Just last week, you yourself compared the bad roads of Minnesota with roads in Bulgaria. Bulgarian roads are full of potholes and warped. Funds for upkeep seem to be awarded to only the worst quality workers, and any repairs rendered are quickly undone when the weather turns bad. In other words, our roads are much better than Minnesota. I used to live in Poland where I owned a station wagon. I brought it with me when I moved to Bulgaria, but after getting frustrated with the roads, I upgraded to an SUV. Bad roads encourage people to get bigger cars. If Adam is correct, and it is indeed the strategy of those in authority in Minnesota to neglect the roads, which I I don't agree with that, uh, to encourage cars being used less, I suspect the tragedy will backfire and only lead to bigger and stronger vehicles with lower gas mileage that spew Spew. fumes into the atmosphere. We said that yesterday. It's a giant windmilling. My second point is on the issue of white paint being racist. Okay. It is my observation that white paint is not the same color as white people. All people are essentially shades of brown. The people we call white are very light brown, and the darkest skin tones are very dark brown. White paint, on the other hand, is actually white. It is a very different color than any human being. Only with thick makeup can any human appear to have truly white skin. We call such people clowns. This is the same title I would give to any person who considers any color paint to be a sign of racism. Hmm. Dave Bliss in Athens, Greece today. That's a good point. We're not white. We're a shade of brown. I'm more of an eggshell. I'm more of a... White is appliance white, which uh, I hate appliance white cars. I had a car that was old English white. That had a touch of cream in it. It was different. Jesus. Now a white car is the color of a dryer or a washing machine. That's white. Got it. Wow. I'm more the color of a saltine. Well, that ain't white. He's got, he's got a great point. Let's break down white today. There ain't no white. There's white paper. I think you're uh, you're uh, yeah. Okay. Good point. 
Good point, Joe. Noted. Moving right along. Noted. (laughs) Noted. Now, yellow paint. Talk. Let's cover all the colors of paint. paint. All right. San Diego (laughs) wants to tax people out of using their own automobile. What? San Diego County's regional transportation agency's latest transportation plan is designed to make driving... So expensive. How expensive uh, is it? That you succumb to public transportation. In addition to the current gas and registration taxes, SANDAG's plan, that's the acronym for San Diego County's Regional Transportation Agency, SANDAG, uh, adds three new half-cent sales tax increases, over 800 miles of San Diego County freeway lanes converted to toll lanes, and a mileage tax for every mile driven to pay for their $165 billion public mass transit plan. Sandag's new plan refuses to build the road improvements promised in the last plan, but will continue to tax San Diego people in San Diego (laughs) until 2048. (laughs) Just let let him go. He's on a roll. Just let him go. Sandag's financial plan states charging fees for the transportation infrastructure that people use, for example, charging users for each mile they drive on the highway, can change travel behavior. Because we elect people who think they want to change our behavior. Right. It's a bait and switch. Freeway dollars, gas tax dollars, and registration fees promised for road improvements instead, instead pay for costly public mass transit projects that... that l- that less than 3% of the public use. Less than 3% of the public. Who will this affect the most? The lowest income earners. The math is simple. Those who earn less will pay a disproportionately higher percentage of their income to get where they need to go. Sandag, the self-proclaimed leader and champion of social equity, is punishing those in the lower income brackets first and will hurt them the most. Government agencies should not be used to change behavior by taxing us into fixed rail trains and buses. Instead of changing behavior, government entities should incentivize technology and innovation. Government should embrace what most people are already choosing and make it cleaner, safer, and more efficient. The people have spoken. They chose they choose freedom of movement and not broken promises or additional taxes. California is a bellwether state for many liberal ideas, and soon politicians may be proposing a similar per-mile tax in other states, and to which a citizen would have to say, why? Mm-hmm. When you hear the proposal, just remember, the government is no longer trying to do what is necessary. They're now trying to change your mind and your behavior. This was written by a guy named Jim Desmond, a San Diego County supervisor representing the 5th District. This harkens back to the video. Did you find find it on Fox News, Joe? Yeah. Okay. This harkens back to, because you're not going to read this uh, piece by him in, you know, in the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. Uh, This harkens back to the audio and video we played last week of Constantine Kizen talking to the Oxford Student Assembly. Oh. And we don't have to play it. No, but there's an update on that. 
Okay. But go, go ahead. Sorry. About but, what? Well, About, his answer, remember, was all you young people, all that you're really allowing yourself to oh, do right. is become victims. Why yep. don't you work instead to improve right. our lot in life? Well, it's the same thing here in San Diego. Rather than encourage entrepreneurship technology and new technology that would improve our current modes of travel, they're trying to tax you out of your car and put you into failed public transit systems. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't work. We don't. That's why yesterday it was said, do you think it's possible that the city of St. Paul or Minneapolis or any other city closest to the country's tallest buildings is poorly maintaining the roads on purpose to get you out of your car? And my answer was no, I absolutely do not think that. And I, don't th- I think we would drive on roads considerably much ro- worse than the roads we're facing now. Yeah. What is it you have? It better be on point. Well, it's about Constantine. Is that okay to bring up? Okay. Uh, six days ago, he issued the following tweet because he had appeared on a, he was being accused of appearing on a right-leaning uh, talk show. Oh. Okay. And he says, funny how people attacking me for going on a right-leaning media. Do you know that not one left-leaning publication or TV show has invited me to talk about my speech? Not one. So whose fault is it exactly? Right. Doesn't that go to show exactly what you're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I have a ray of hope regarding that. The Guardian in the UK, if you research its history, it's an ancient newspaper. But its target audience is educated adults with left-leaning political views. Of, in other words, of the tabloids in the UK, you know, the Daily Mail is just a, a fun joke yep. every day yep. of a bulletin board full of gossipy stuff. And the, <laughs> well covered, but thoroughly covered. And the, and the Sun is the same thing. It's almost like the little brother of the Daily Mail. But you come to The Guardian, and it takes itself very seriously. Oh, yeah. And it, it preaches to the choir. It preaches to a left-leaning audience, and it... Uh, uh, it's uh, well-staffed and well-funded, and uh, I guess I was going to sit on this, but it, it's too pertinent to uh, set aside. It's very germane to everything we talk about because it's one thing to hear me complain about EVs. I'm a nobody. I have no standing to complain about them other than my instincts and what I read about the dreadful mining procedures that are required to produce the batteries, not to mention the weight of EVs and how they affect pavement, not to mention that they have a short range of travel. They're just not my cup of tea. Uh, They very well could be your cup of tea if your driving is limited to urban errands and you're not going to take off and go to... uh, Copper Harbor, Michigan, and you ain't well, taking no dumb dumb running. Where an you have to stop and and plan out your route and hope you could you could plug it in. And even then, I can find no evidence. I'm I'm setting up the the Guardian piece. Mm-hmm. I can find no evidence of how we're supposed to believe they somehow are beneficial to the planet. They're just a car with an exhaust pipe that's elsewhere, right? Right. So now here comes the Guardian. And the headline is Revealed, How U.S. Transition to Electric Cars Threatens Environmental Havoc. Wait a minute. Revealed, colon, How U.S. Transition to Electric Cars Threatens Environmental Havoc. And this is coming to you from an institution 
that is uh, vehemently opposed to environmental havoc. They're via, they're on board with the whole global warming hysteria, and they they break it down. and And here they're saying by 2050, electric vehicles could require huge amounts of lithium for their batteries, causing damaging expansions of mining. It's written by Nina Lakhani, a climate justice reporter. <laughs> so no, no. Here's what you have. What you have is. If I, if I may say something charitable about her, a climate justice reporter who's weighing the two scales here and saying, yeah, I'm, I really, really ideologically think that electric cars must be the way to go. But when I look at it, I have to realize they cause more damage to the earth than fossil fuels ever did. Okay. The U.S. transitions to the U.S.'s transition to electric vehicles could require Three times as much lithium as is currently produced for the entire entire global market, causing needless water shortages, indigenous land grabs, and ecosystem destruction inside and outside its borders. Uh, and she cites new research because you got to have studies. Got to have studies. It warns that unless the U.S.'s dependence on cars in towns and cities falls drastically. The transition to lithium battery-powered electric vehicles by 2050 will deepen global environmental and social inequities linked to mining and may even jeopardize the 1.5 degree centigrade global heating target. Let me stop right there. So she's on board with all that. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but she's seeing a red flag here. Yeah. But she's saying, but hold up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. But ambitious policies investing in mass transit, walkable towns and cities, and robust battery recycling in the U.S. would slash the amount of extra lithium required in 2050 by 90%. So in other words, to counter the damage that electric vehicles could could bring about, right. us peons aren't supposed to drive anything. <laughs> It sounds like what she would advocate. Is that what she's saying? No, because no, I don't I'm, see I'm, that. I'm racing ahead. I'm thinking yeah, this in yeah. my own head. I, I'm just envisioning a future where the where the privilege would be able to drive electric vehicles because of increased technology involving recycling. We won't have to mine as much lithium. However, there won't be enough cars to go around. So you you peasants, you'll be living in walkable cities. In fact, the first-of-its-kind modeling shows it is possible to have more transport options for Americans that are safer, healthier, and less segregated and less harmful mining while making rapid progress to zero emissions. The research by the Climate and Community Project and University of California, Davis, shared exclusively with The Guardian, comes at a critical juncture with the rollout of historic funding for electric vehicles through Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction and Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The global demand for lithium, also known as white gold, is predicted to rise over 40 times by 2040, driven predominantly by the shift to electric vehicles. Grassroots protests and lawsuits against lithium mining are on the rise, from the U.S. and Chile to Serbia and Tibet. 
amid rising concern about the socioeconomic, uh, I'm sorry, the socio-environmental impacts and increasingly tense geopolitics around supply. The U.S.'s affinity for cars, especially big ones, and sprawling cities and suburbs where driving to work, school, and shop is often the only option, gives its transition to electric vehicles major global significance. No matter what path it chooses, the U.S. will achieve zero emission transportation by 2050, according to the research. But the speed of the transition, as well as who benefits and who suffers, will depend on the number and size of electric vehicles and batteries Americans opt for going forward. Uh, is, pause well, for a second. Yeah, I'm going to pause and say, which is it? We're not even supposed to be here by 2050. Uh, Kansas will be oceanfront. What's what's the deal here? I, I do see your point here where she's headed with this, um, and that's some more reliance on public uh, transportation. I mean, it said, it said so right in the article. But what I'm seeing, and it's not being said, is we're taking the brunt of the abuse. Is that on purpose, or is that just coincide with the study? You know what I mean? She's not mentioning Europe at all. Right, or India or China. Right. It, it seems to be all of the United States' um, fault. Preserving the status quo might seem like the politically easier option, but it's not the fastest way to get people out of cars or the fairest way to decarbonize, said Thea Riofrancos, associate professor of political science at Providence College and lead author of the report. We can either electrify the status quo to reach zero emissions, or the energy transition can be used as an opportunity to rethink our cities and the transportation sector so that it's more environmentally and socially just, both in the U.S. and globally. Well, I reject everything they're saying. Oh, why? Because they're, these are people who are imagining that they're entrusted to change your behavior under the false pretense that if they don't, the earth is going to disappear. It's not going to disappear. Well, it's not going to disappear. But on the other hand, she's bringing up everything that we've been talking about here for the last five years. As long as we've been doing this podcast, we've been talking about the horrible mining that goes into but her creating motive, these... Yes, you're right, but her motives are specious. What she wants to establish, and again, I'm not even done reading the piece, what she wants to establish is fewer electric vehicles and, and electric vehicles only. So you're not having an electric truck up there in that hillbilly wherever you live. You're, you're not going to have it. You won't have anything. you got a horse. You're going to have a horse. But they fart and poop. And they poop. Right. Nothing. The report brings into light possibilities for a future without fossil fuels. Well, I don't think we need a future without fossil fuels. Nor can we get by with one. That minimizes mineral extraction and new harms to communities in lithium-rich areas, said Pia Marsha Ghiani, policy director at the Environment and Natural Resources Foundation in Argentina. Transportation is the biggest source of carbon emissions in the U.S. and the only sector in which emissions are still rising, making it crucial to phase out gas and diesel as quickly as possible to limit the climate breakdown. These are people who've gone crazy and they believe there's a climate breakdown. And, and I'm a non-scientist. I really? believe the climate has always changed. 
for four and a half billion years. For a long time, and I believe it will continue to. And I think what we're discovering, and I think the the uh, the people who have uh, consumed all the Kool Aid are afraid to acknowledge is that they're discovering that fossil fuels are less damaging to the earth than mining for lithium. And they can't really bring themselves to say that. She's dancing around it. Just a moment. We'll be back and finish this. You'll learn more here by accident than elsewhere by design. Here's Joe Suchere. It's going to get cold next week. That means it's time to add sea foam to your tanks. Might as well do it earlier than later. Make sure it starts when you need it. And uh, that's great advice that wasn't told to me via DMs by some uh, weirdo random dude on uh, Twitter. Uh, I wrote that crap all by myself. Uh, but it's true. It's absolutely true. You know what else like sea foam? Deadbolts, knob locks, and paddle locks. What are that's knob locks? Chuck. P A D D L E L O C K S. Padlocks. Paddle locks. Padlocks. Say Paddle. it with me. Padlocks. Padlocks. They, Paddlocks. They can't love. even say the word. Padlocks. Yeah. They uh, they like sea foam <laughs> in the form of deep creep. It keeps those uh, locks working fantastic when it's a hundred degrees below zero. You can find this stuff everywhere. Knack Hardware. Yeah. Your local. Yeah. A big box. Yeah. Small box. Yeah. Yeah. Bakery. Sure. Why not? Uh, it's a global um, product. No. It's a local product with a global, global reach, reach and a miracle in a world of bad gas seafoam <laughs> biden's strategy to fully decarbonize the transportation sector by 2050 i don't think that's biden's strategy but it's whoever's telling him that's his strategy He's got a 1967 Corvette sitting in his garage with those documents. <laughs> uh, Decarbonate by, by 2050. Put some focus on mass transit and land use planning. But so far, the messaging and funds have been geared towards encouraging Americans to swap gas-guzzling cars. That's such a cliche. That's lazy writing. To swap gas-guzzling cars for electric vehicles. It's working. Over half the nation's car sales are predicted to be electric by 2030. Really? And states like New York and California have passed laws phasing out the sale of gas cars. This is the good news, but there's a catch. <clears throat> Lithium. So again, I, I submit to you, without knowing a thing about her, that Nina Lacani, working for The Guardian as a climate justice reporter, is all on board with you getting out of your evil internal combustion-driven car and getting on board with the electric, but she's, she's, she's got a tinge of worry here. She said there's a catch. Lithium. Electric vehicles are already the largest source of demand for lithium, the soft white metal common to all current rechargeable batteries. Mining lithium is a fraught business, and the rise in demand for EVs is contributing to a rise in social and environmental harms and global supply chain bottlenecks. If Americans continue to depend on cars at the current rate, by 2050, the U.S. alone would need triple the amount of lithium currently produced for the entire global market, which would have dire consequences for water, food supplies, biodiversity, and indigenous rights. So there again, what I believe she's imagining, and the people who have consumed all the Kool-Aid are imagining, is... Electric's the way to go, but we got to minimize the number of electric vehicles available to people who actually have their own individuality. 
But it doesn't have to be this way. According to a report, achieving zero emission transportation with more mobility and less mining. That's the report. Researchers created a novel modeling tool to compare the amount of lithium needed to achieve zero transport emissions for personal vehicles under different scenarios. It's the first study to project future lithium demand based on variables like car ownership, battery size, city density, public transit, and battery recycling, and connect this with avoidable harms. In this, in each scenario, the U.S. achieved zero emission transportation by 2050. Do we know that the world would be better then? Is it written somewhere that you're going to get up on July 1st, 2050, and the world will be just that much better? Well, sure. First of all, we're not going to make it to 2050, according to these fruitcakes. <laughs> Why is it going to be better? Well, because John Kerry told me it will. Throw some money at it. We'll be good. And AOC and all the other really smart people. The, these adult children have a time in mind on, on the chronology of history that they think life must have been better, that nature must have been better, that the air must have been better, that the sky must have been bluer. They They're must think really... that. They're going to be so disappointed when an asteroid hits the Earth and yes. screws everything up. They're really going to be bummed Think out. Think how much of the environment will be damaged by that asteroid. How much lithium depends on policy decisions taken now, according to the report, impacting economic prosperity, public health, environmental justice, ecosystems, and communities in every part of the supply chain for decades to come. In the best-case scenario, comparing the status quo in which EV battery size grows and U.S. car dependency remains stable with ambitious public transit, city density, and recycling policies, the lithium demand would be 92% lower. Battery size, like the size of a fuel tank, dictates range. Okay. But results show that even if Americans cannot wean themselves off cars with big lithium batteries, increasing the density of metropolitan areas and investing in mass transit would cut cumulative demand for lithium between 18% and 66%. That's, that's a range too far for me to uh, attach any credibility to, lady. Limiting the size of EB batteries, EV batteries alone can cut lithium demand by up to 42%. These are all we don't know that's. Uh, the largest reduction, here we're getting to uh, the heart of a Mysterian. The largest reduction will come from changing the way we get around. Fewer cars, more walking, cycling, and public transit made possible by denser cities, followed by downsizing vehicles and recycling batteries. The people behind this just don't like the way we live. Right. And you know what? Life's pretty damn good. We got computers, we got vehicles, we got food. <laughs> Threw that in there. <laughs> it can be done. Cities around the world have already begun to reduce car use in order to improve air pollution, road safety, and quality of life. Of course. Sure of they course. have. In Paris, car use declined nearly 30% between 01 and 2015, while at London it fell by 40%. Oh, and despite the cultural attachment to driving, fewer cars on the roads would not mean a sacrifice in the quality of life, convenience, or safety, according to co-author Kira McDonald, an economist and urban policy researcher. These people are insane. These people are, are waving a magic I, wand 
and diminishing us because they disapprove of the way we live and they think that it's better if they control how you live. I don't disagree with that, but I think this is at least a 50% ray of hope because they're admitting what we've been preaching for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, um, I, would, I would hope that there's enough people on the left that would read this and would say, I'm not giving up my car. I, it's impossible for me to take a, a bus. I have to have petroleum-powered vehicles to do my job or to do whatever. I'm just hoping. I have many reasons why I would never buy a Ferrari. Chief among them, I can't afford one. <laughs> but another one came up. I was reading that Ferrari is patent patenting patent. They're going to patent a uh, an electric uh, means of producing the sound of a Ferrari in their yeah. electric cars. <laughs> like Blow it out your hind end, Ferrari. I'm you. You didn't have the chutzpah to stand up to this movement you're caving like every other automobile manufacturer but now i'm supposed to be faked out because because my electric ferrari will sound like it has an engine lithium deposits are geologically widespread and abundant but 95 percent of global production is currently concentrated in australia chile China, and Argentina. Large new deposits have been found in Mexico, the U.S., Portugal, Germany, Kazakhstan, Congo, and Mali. Lithium mining is, like all mining, environmentally and socially harmful. More than half the current lithium production, which is very water-intensive, takes place in regions blighted by water shortages that are likely to get worse due to global heating. She's got it all covered yep. here. She's yep. checking mm-hmm. every, every box. Here, let me let me give you a definition of that. Uh, lithium mining, um, it, it involves drilling a hole and pumping brine to the surface. That brine is then left to evaporate for months. That creates a chemical concoction containing manganese, potassium, borax, and salts, which is filtered and placed into another evaporation pool. The remaining mix will take another 12 and 18 months before it's filtered enough for them to extract the lithium carbonate. How many people driving EVs in the Twin Cities have even stopped to think about any of this? Or are they just pushed along by the peer pressure? That's my point. That's why I think this is partially a ray of hope. Mm-hmm. Because if they see this and read this, maybe it'll it'll prompt them to do more research. Despite being a relatively new industry, lithium extraction has a track record of land and water pollution, ecosystem destruction, and violations against indigenous and rural communities. Let me stop right there. Hold it. Uh, I was doing some cleaning the other day and came across a little miniature transistor radio that had shortwave in it. I could listen to BBC or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I remember this thing. And it had old uh, AAA batteries in it. Okay. I removed those old AAA batteries and put in two new AAAs, and the radio didn't work. And I, I, I checked. I had the batteries installed correctly. Okay. When I went to extract the new batteries I put in, I burned my fingers on one of the batteries. 
If I hadn't mm. checked, that thing would have started on fire. And I don't know why. Obviously, uh, there was some fault in the uh, in the little transistor radio right. that I had. But the battery was so hot, I burned my first finger and my thumb as I went to pluck it out How of there. How long was it in there? That's the other thing. <laughs> was in there about 30 seconds. Holy crap. Yeah. And it heated up instantly. Jeez. Huh. Now, what the hell? Uh, I, I'm not saying your electric car is going to start on fire, but... If something did go wrong with an electric car, the first thing that occurs to me is you're going to be creating heat somewhere. You're going to be creating an intense heat somewhere. Oh, that's yeah. true. And, and this was a AAA battery that was so hot you couldn't touch it. I don't know why. I don't know what that was. Hmm. But uh, I reported this inside to the field general. Yeah, how'd that go over? Well, I was made to... Uh, I was made to keep that outside overnight in case. Did the, you have uh, a boo boo? In case the house started on fire. Yeah. Is this a tr- the whole radio? It's- you had to put the whole radio outside. Well, worse than that, John. <laughs> I had to. Uh, I threw the radio away, uh-huh. and then I had to put that garage wastebasket outside because oh. our guy Derek from Vice Grip Garage, his advice whenever you put a new battery in an old piece of crap that yep. you're about to work on, yep. stand there. And and waft it in, smell everything, because uh, fire could start. Yep. According to BatteriesPlus.com, why do batteries overheat? Once the battery experiences a short, it will become, or excuse me, it will begin to discharge very quickly and heat up due to this but, rapid well, flow that's of what current. To this there was, radio then. It wasn't a problem with the battery, Chris. There was a short the in, short the, in the little transistor in the, radio, in the radio, that, radio. I, that I had yeah. rediscovered. That's yeah. why it's very important that you never store batteries in a location that contains loose change or other metal objects. Really? I did not know that. Well, I've got some of my rare coins uh, in close proximity oh, I'm sure it's on to, fire uh, right to a stack house. of batteries. Your I'll, whole I'll house is going to burn down. I'll have to move that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What about my core batteries? I've got those things stashed all over the farm. <laughs> I was just going to, to be honest, I was just going to throw them in the burn pile this spring. Oh, um, <laughs> you know what else it says? Such? What? It also does say, generally only a short. However, the device drawing excess current or inserting the batteries the wrong way will do this. Oh, I know. I checked. I put them in the right way. I've been I've been working with batteries a long time, uh, and they're not we called. No, that they're not called batteries. Batteries. They're batteries. Yeah, no batteries. No, they're batteries. B a t t r e e s. What's interesting is you've been reading this piece in the Guardian. I went to the Google and I searched lithium mining versus oil drilling, mm-hmm. and every site I clicked on. They admit that lithium mining does have an environmental impact, but it's no worse or not as bad as oil drilling and fracking. Oh. Every You really have to sort through the propaganda to just come up with just one non-political-based answer. <laughs> in the U.S., only one small lithium mine in Nevada is currently operational, but the drought-affected state has at least 50 new projects under development. This includes the massive... Thacker Pass Mine, approved at the end of the Trump administration, which is opposed by some environmentalists, ranchers, and indigenous tribes due to the lack of consultation and inadequate environmental review. In Chile and Argentina, the world's second and fourth largest lithium producers, respectively, 
broken promises by corporations, water scarcity, land contamination, and lack of informed consent from indigenous groups have fueled resistance and social conflicts. Uh, Most of the forecasters predict a supply crunch in the next five to ten years, a period when rapid decarbonization must take place to avert even more catastrophic global heating. So this poor woman doesn't know if she's on foot or horseback. On the one hand, she's very worried that the earth is going to melt. And on the other hand, she's very worried what influence lithium mining will have on that. So we really don't know where she is. Although I'm, I'm extracting from her garble here that she, she imagines a future of nothing but electric vehicles, but few enough of them that they're only driven by the privileged. Right. And the rest of us, Ooh. we're walking. Walking, baby. <laughs> Boy, getting a driver's license would be probably even more of a privilege if that played out that way. Uh, they wouldn't a, award them. There's a she's a columnist with the Guardian, U.S. edition. She said, "I have no idea what the world is going to look like in a decade, but here's one prediction I feel confident in making: without a free and fearless pressure, oh, this is where they hit you up for dough. Yeah, 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 this is never just mind. a never yeah." Mind. yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm just uh, I'm just a, a run-of-the-mill old GLer, and uh, I'm uh, sticking to my gasoline-powered cars until I. You know what? We can get away with gasoline-powered cars until we can't. <laughs> nice, exactly. Just yep. like the academy. Well put. We can well get put. away with it until we can't. <sighs> Let's come back with John Height. <laughs> Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Souchere. Here's John Height. Thank you, Joe. This news brought to you by Air Mechanical. And Joe, since 1985, Air Mechanical has served the Twin Cities for their heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical needs. They can also help with drain cleaning, duct cleaning, and indoor air quality, serving the entire metro area. From general maintenance to full install, they got you. Furnace installs, boilers, heat pumps, garage heaters, and more. Air Mechanical employs top-trained tradespeople in the state of Minnesota. They operate with full integrity. They do things the right way, not the easy way. And their Total Solutions membership is like having Air Mechanical on retainer. Keep all of your home maintenance needs in one comprehensive membership. Select one tune-up a year and enjoy benefits like discounted maintenance, repairs, service, and equipment costs. Catch problems before they arise and keep your home's mechanicals running smoothly. We'd love it if you gave <clears throat> we'd love it if you gave Air Mechanical a shout for any heating, cooling, plumbing, or electrical needs. Call or book online right now at thinkami.com. That's thinkami.com. Thank you, Chris. You're we welcome, John. Game, we could do a game show. That was like, you know. Wink Martindale. Anyway. In the news, a suspect is in custody after a White Bear Lake police officer was wounded by gunfire last night. Police say there's no threat to the area. The officer's in stable condition after being brought to the hospital for surgery. A Facebook post from the White Bear Lake Police Department says the officers were making an arrest at about 10 p.m. Tuesday in the 3100 block of Carth Road. It was during that time the shots were fired and hit the White Bear Lake police officer. You know what we're dealing with here? To quote Buford T. Justice, and I'm being serious, mm-hmm. a complete lack of respect for the law. 
Well, you're you're certainly seeing that everywhere. Here, Winstead, it's 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 a joke. Winstead, though, they got a lot of equipment. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw a submarine. I think they did. I think, and I saw a freighter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and a Chinook. I, I, I love you guys. I love you guys. But the people of Winstead, you better not fall for any scam where they're telling you they need more money for equipment. I think they were borrowing some neighboring county God, stuff, oh my, too. I've never seen so much stuff. How yeah. big is McLeod County? You know How all the counties. big is it anyway? You know all the counties. I, I do know all the counties. And McLeod is a an M county. Uh, but Thank I you. don't know how big the county is. Okay. What about M- Michaels? That's a county. Monoman, Marshall, Martin, McLeod, Meeker, Malax, uh, Moore, Mauer. Because wouldn't, Mauer, Hutch- Moore, wouldn't Hutchinson be in McLeod? Population thirty-six thousand in McLeod County. The county seat is oh, Glencoe. Huh. Winstead what? isn't even the county seat. No, Glencoe's a nice city. They got a neat ballpark in Glencoe. That's good. The Hamlin University Faculty Council voted Tuesday and called for the resignation of Hamlin University President Finise Miller. In January, there was an international debate, and uh, we had that uh, talk here on the show many times over the university's decision not to retain adjunct, adjunct professor Erica Lopez Prater after Prater showed an image of the Islamic prophet Muhammad during an art history class. January 11th, the Minnesota Council of American Islamic Relations called on Hamlin leaders to fire Prater. Some Muslim students expressed displeasure with Prater's decision to show the image during class. Other Muslims said it was fine to show the image. About 86% of the faculty members who voted Tuesday supported the resignation of President Miller. Faculty Council President Jim Scheibel told our TV folks at 5 Eyewitness News it was important for the faculty to state their opinion on the issue and said academic freedom was a big part of the reason for the vote against Miller continuing in her position. Uh, the TV station, KSTP, did reach out to Hamlin University for comments, and the administration said it would issue a statement. But uh, as of yet, they have not released one. I didn't know until last night that Jim Scheibel, a former mayor of St. Paul, was involved with Hamlin. I believe yeah. he's the faculty president. Isn't yeah. Latimer over there as well? Latimer is no longer actively there. I believe he was there in some uh, law professorship. Good guy. Yep. Uh, Jim Jim looks much older in the picture on their yep. website than okay. he than I remember him yes. as. But well, I you remember him as a young mayor. Yes, thirty years ago. Yeah. Uh, prof- he's the pre- professor of practice and public administration. Oh. Uh, if you're wondering, because right. I was wondering this morning also. Uh, Governor Walls, we talked about this a bit yesterday, announcing his full two-year budget proposal yesterday, including a plan to send money directly back to Minnesotans. According to Walls, the plan includes the largest tax cut in state history and a proposal to use part of the state's more than $17 billion budget surplus for direct payments. Uh, that plan calls for $1,000 checks for single filers, making less than seventy-five grand a year, 2000 for families with an income under one hundred fifty grand, and up to an extra 200 for each dependent with a maximum of three dependents. The tax cut proposal calls for reducing taxes on Social Security benefits, increasing the school building bond agricultural credit to support rural schools, and directing more funding toward the local government aid and county program aid programs to help pay for local infrastructure that usually relies on property taxes. 
However, the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities called the $30 million increase in funding to local government aid program disappointing and inadequate. The $30 million increase doesn't keep up with inflation, according to their president and Thief River Falls Mayor Brian Homer. He said with a record high surplus, this proposal is disheartening. In total, the governor says his plan features $8 billion in tax cuts. Of course, some areas of his plan also include new or increased taxes to go along with tax cuts, such as on capital gains, where Walls is proposing a 1.5% surcharge on capital gains. It also calls for taxes on recreational marijuana, assuming it's legalized by the Minnesota legislature this year. I only have uh, one comment. One? Yes, sir. Well, two. Okay. About the budget and... Walls, at one point, I'm paraphrasing, said, well, we're going to give the money back because people know what to do with it better than the government. And I thought, he <laughs> was wow. disingenuous. Wow. He said, we're going to give you saps, 1500 bucks or whatever. Here's your allowance. Because you, you know what to do with it better than we yeah. do, which was absolute right. We're one Minnesota. Right, right. But the other thing that amused me is wow. that, that his uh, desire to give some money back was met with opposition from the Mysterians. That mm. They wanted it all. And, and I just had this cartoon bubble of Walls saying to them, are you kidding me? I'm throwing these saps a grand. Right. Uh, we're stealing the rest of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. What the yeah. hell do you want us to do? We're raising taxes. And of course, then it was, well, they agreed to it. And uh, you know what? You're all a bunch of phonies. Get and out of all town. you're doing is expanding the size of the government. From state rep, is it, is it Garofalo or Garofalo? Garofalo. Walls and the DFL are proposing a whopping 21% increase in spending. The general fund would exceed 65 million. <laughs> 60 or 65 billion. This is nuts, even by DFL standards, and he is spot on. Yeah. Yep. And Chris, uh, you alluded to this yesterday. I looked back. 2013, the budget was $35 billion. And what's it this year? 63, right? Is 65. That 65. 65. So that's $30 billion more in 10 wow. years. And just five years ago, it was $40 billion. So it's $25 billion more in five years. Let me make a rash, uncompleted link, incompleted link. The more the gov- the larger the government gets, the easier it will be for them to control your behavior. Well, of course. Yes. That's the, the larger goal. it gets, the easier it will be for them to control your behavior. I don't think yeah. you're saying anything new there. The larger genius. the government, the smaller the citizen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not every That's, house has a Wellstone sticker. I believe my friend Dave, uh, 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 Dennis Prager has said that. The That's larger the government. Yeah. Yep. The smaller the citizen. Well, we got a whole new. And we are disappearing. Yep. Well, aren't we going to have the the weed district now? You're going to have a new <laughs> office of cannabis uh, instruction. Got it. Or whatever they're going to do. Sixty-five billion. That's a lot of money, Joe. It really is. Star Tribune reporting, uh, speaking of money, a 43-year-old Brooklyn Park man on Tuesday became the sixth person to plead guilty in the $250 million federal child nutrition fraud case connected to Feeding Our Future. Liban Yassin Alishire admitted in a Minneapolis federal courtroom to pocketing more than $700,000 as part of a conspiracy in which he and others grossly overstated how many underprivileged children, that is, Community Enhancement Services and Lake Street Kitchen Site served under the Federal Child Nutrition Program from late 2020 to early 2022, while under the sponsorship of Feeding Our Future. Alice Shar pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud and money laundering, one of 50 people to be charged in the massive fraud case. His attorney, Matthew Forsgren, said he realizes he made a terrible mistake. 
Obviously, he accepts responsibility. He knows it. His plea agreement calculated an expected sentencing guidelines range of 41 to 51 months, but U.S. District Judge Nancy Brazell reminded Alishar she was not bound by that agreement and could impose a different sentence after further review of his pre-sentencing investigation. Walls, particularly in the people he put in place, could not wrestle to the ground a $250 million food fraud scandal And these are the same people who want to take Minnesota into a future of unimaginable financial collapse. It just doesn't, uh, the math doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't. When a U.S. veteran dies, they're often buried with full military honors, a service that's performed at Fort Snelling National Cemetery to any military family that requests it. However, members of the Memorial Rifle Squad are concerned, a a tradition that they may not be able to continue unless they're able to recruit more members. Members of the Memorial Rifle Squad will tell you they do this out of duty to their country and their fellow veterans. There are five squads that perform anywhere from 6 to 15 services at burial on any given day. Hmm. However, they say the squad is getting older, and because of the pandemic, many of its members haven't come back. So they're asking they now need at least 10 more members to keep up with all the burials that happen at the cemetery. They don't get them. They may have to discontinue. That is one use. of the coolest things. My buried my mm-hmm. uncle Jeff mm-hmm. last year, and he was a, a Marine, former Marine. And those guys came out, and it's just they're so um, real. They're just really good guys, and they are. I noticed that they are getting a little bit older. Well, if I had the credentials, maybe I'd consider volunteering. I don't but think I, you do. I don't think I do. You I don't. Either. No. No. Former Vice President Mike Pence has joined the list of former officials with classified documents in their possession. A small number of documents with classified markings were discovered last week at Pence's Indiana home and turned over to the FBI, a lawyer told the National Archives and Records Administration. Who doesn't have them at this point? You know what? Yeah, no, I, I was it. just going to say, you know what this show needs for publicity? Classified Docu- documents. Have, the mayor needs to have some classified docs. Hey, no. Joe, have some classified documents. I'm just at a point where I think it should be legal for these guys just to take what you want. Just go at this point, right? Just take anything grab, you want. Grab I just, you I just need, you know. found some on the toilet tank in the bathroom. That's right. I don't know what they're doing sitting there. That's where the mob put stuff. I think now they're declassified. (laughs) His lawyer uh, wrote, uh, who's, uh, let's see, boy, why don't I have his first name? Hmm. I miss that son. His last name is Jacob. We'll go with Jacob. Jacob. Served as Pence's top lawyer in the White House. He said that the former vice president engaged outside counsel with experience in handling classified documents on January 16th to review records in the wake of reports regarding documents marked classified found in President Biden's possession. It was during that search the documents that could contain sensitive or classified info was found interspersed throughout his records. His name is Gregory. Gregory Jacob. Thank you. Yep. Yep. In a major increase of U.S. support to Ukraine, President Biden has signed off on sending 31 M1 Abrams tanks to the war-torn country as concerns mount over a new Russian offensive this spring, according to senior administration officials. The U.S. announcement comes about its uh, U.S. announcement, excuse me, about its tank commitment comes the same day Germany has pledged to send Ukraine 14 of its own Leopard 2 tanks. Political gymnastics have uh, mixed up Ukraine's plea for more tanks as Russia gets ready for a spring offensive. Germany didn't want to send tanks until the U.S. did. So now that that's happened, they're both sending their tapes, uh, tanks. Biden administration officials had confirmed that they were considering sending the Abrams to Ukraine 
under the Ukraine did, Security Assistance Initiative. Did you guys hear how he started that press conference yesterday? Who did not? Mr. Mr. Biden, he's the president they of the United not. States. Uh, he had this to say. I have no intention of letting the Republicans wreck our economy, nor does anybody around his table, in my view. He has no intention of letting the Republicans wreck his real? economy. Yes, it is. And then he yeah. went on to speak about Ukraine. I wonder where Pence lives in Indiana, because when the news excitedly told us that he too has documents, there was aerial views of his home, which is this large, large house hmm. surrounded by the woods. I mean, there was nothing okay. I, out in the middle of nowhere. I have the nowhere Fram- to go with that. I would just want to. The, uh, the Framptons, Frampton Brothers version of Indiana Wants Me is the best version. You got to yeah. look that one up. Uh, those Abram tanks, eight point nine two million a piece. What are they? Tanks. You're welcome. No, no. <laughs> Two days in a row. I, I just want to see if he fall, fell for it again. I am not gonna lie. I was waiting for that during the story. Thank you, Johnny. Is that the only reason you did the story, John? No, John. <sighs> yes, Kenny. Does the story say how many? Yeah, fourteen, wasn't it? Fourteen. I did read the number. Uh, yeah, fourteen. I believe that's what uh, Zelensky said when they said, here's your tanks. He mm-hmm. said, you're welcome. Mike Pence <laughs> buys $1.9 million Indiana home packed with amenities. See if I can get a city out of here. I don't really care. Okay. That's $124.88 million in tank. Uh, Carmel, C-A-R-M-E-L. Indiana Lowe's. That's wants That's an Indianapolis suburb. Lord, I can't go back there. Back there. I've never heard the Frampton Brothers. You got to look it up. Scott Holter actually turned me on to that. Scott Holter. Interesting. I think caramel is the uh, (laughs) ingredient in home of (laughs) Crooked Stick, where John Daly won the uh, PGA one here. Check that. I believe. Oh, old Crooked Stick, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Did he ever get that fixed? An armed and dangerous suspect. It it just repaired itself. Mm. Okay. Armed and dangerous suspect who was on the run in Washington State after the fatal shooting of at least three people at a Circle K uh, convenience store is now dead, according to authorities. This all happened at the store in Yakima around 3.30 in the morning on Knob Hill Boulevard, according to the police chief, Matt Murray. Murray said the suspect, whom police later identified as 21-year-old Yakima County resident Gerald Haddock, walked into the store, fatally shot two people without provocation. The chief said it appeared to be a random situation, no conflict between the parties. The suspect shot, walked into the store and started shooting. He then left the store and shot a third victim outside who also died. He then walked across the street to a gas station where police think he shot into a gray or silver Chrysler 200, but camera video shows the person fleeing and not, uh, it appears not being injured. It's unclear whether the person inside the vehicle actually was hit at all or injured in the incident, uh, but Haddock did eventually uh, kill himself after that shooting. Why couldn't he have done that first? Yep, that should yeah. have been step yeah. one. Uh, Crooked Stick, of- I'm sorry, John, let me just interject. Yeah. Crooked Stick Golf Club is a golf club located in Carmel, Indiana, a north suburb uh, north of Indianapolis, Crooked Stick was host to the PGA Championship in 91 and won by John Daly. God, my memory is sharp. The stuff you, you can't remember is it. what puzzles me. Right. The stuff yeah. you can is I'd pretty neat. I'd rather talk about the Frampton Brothers myself. The yeah, name. look it up. You'll love it. You know what, Joe? I've stayed in Carmel, Indiana. That's weird. Really? Yeah. yeah, I just looked it up. I've, that was, uh, is that when you price. went to the 500? 
good priced hotel up there. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. stay in Carmel, California. That's where Clint Eastwood was mayor, right? Mm-hmm. Carmel. The names have been submitted and narrowed down in this year's Name a Snowplow contest. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> oh, Snowy Snowy McSnowface. Yeah. This is a according, state contest, correct? Yes, not a city. To the, according to the MinDot uh, folks, more than ten thousand four hundred names were sent in during that part of the contest in December. And now you can help choose the eight winners out of the sixty names that are finalists. I won't do all sixty, but I'll give you a few of them, huh? How about later? No more than three. Bla- oh, three pressures mm. on John. Sleetwood Mac. No, that's not bad. Yeah. No, that's awful. Bla- Blader Todd Hot Dish. Hey, Blader Todd no. Hot Dish, Blader. <laughs> Mar- are these the winners? Names? No, these are what we're voting on. Where there's 60 oh, names now, we see. get to vote on 60 names. Oh, I see. Uh, last year, uh, you know, we had what eight different ones for each district. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember those winners? No, Betty Betty Whiteout. I, I thought that was good. The Big Laplowski. I like that. Why can't, Rex. Yeah, why like can't we name them with the, the driver's name? Gus. Steve. Yeah. Steve. I have a snowmobile named Chuck, and I have a snowmobile named Dwayne. You're one of those nutcases that names inanimate objects, huh? They were, that's the names of the former owners. So go grab Dwayne, let's go for a ride. Ah. Don't you, you name your cars, don't you, Joe? I do not. Every, everybody names Oh, cars. God, I do not. I think oh, that's Betsy. dreadful. Really? Yeah. All right. What is your name of your car, John? Um, I haven't named Schmoopy. this one yet, but all my other cars, I had a blue Explorer that was big blue and, you know, just yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I had uh, I had a... Uh, Boy, that'd be uh, tough to take a girl on a or, date in that car. Yeah. I had a Renegade that was uh, kind of a, a sandy color. <laughs> a sandy. It was called Mojave. That was the color. Sure. So, because it's supposed to look like... So, and I called it Sandy. All right, let's let's move along here. My shall we? Um, my roommate had a, a Matrix, and we called it Trixie, um, a spin on Matrix, and she hated that. Drove her crazy. Huh? That's my story. I okay. had a buddy who had a Lincoln sedan. He called it Mary Todd. That's, that's good. Pretty, I kind of like Lincoln? that. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Get it, Mary Todd Lincoln? Yeah. No, I do. Yeah, that. that's why. I like to play Mrs. Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really? that's good, Matt. Good one. Wow, media news. We paying you for that? Yeah. Rupert, Joe Joe has left the show. (laughs) Media news, Rupert Murdoch said he is now abandoning plans to explore merger of Fox Corp and News Corp, two media companies he controls. After investors pushed back on the deal, Fox said Tuesday it had received a letter from Murdoch saying that he and his son, Lachlan, the chief executive officer of Fox had determined a combination was not optimal for shareholders at this time. The deal first announced in October was promising to reunite the parents of Fox News and the Fox broadcast business with the print news organizations that include the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, and HarperCollins Book Publishing. The recombination would come a decade after the company split up. It was a controversial one. A number of News Corp investors publicly opposed the merger with Fox, saying it undervalued company assets, including its own online real estate business. I have a question about Rupert. I think he's yes. 91, right? And he's he was married for a long time to Jerry Hall. Mm-hmm. She had to know a few things. She was married to Mick Jagger. So he dumps her... And he's now married to some 65-year-old socialite. To, to him, uh, that's like getting somebody 21. Okay. Well, I don't get it. 
I, I mean, what? 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 I don't get it. Money, dummy. Oh. That's uh, the only part you didn't get. Is what he's worth. How much? Twenty billion. Yeah, no, but wouldn't this cost him a fortune to get rid of Jerry Hall and and, and take well, on the new one? Here's what his does spouses. He care? Anna so Murdoch, it's almost man, gone. Yeah. Sixty-seven to ninety-nine. Patricia Booker, fifty-six to sixty-seven. Jerry Hall, twenty-sixteen to twenty-two, and uh, then Wendy Deng Murdoch, ninety-nine to twenty-thirteen. So she's his fourth. Yep. I thought I thought she succeeded Jerry Hall. He read those out of order. Yeah, yeah. They, they weren't in order. I apologize. We don't need to do any more on it. Here's John Height. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cindy Howard's son, Curtis Brown, was only 47 years old when tragically a heart attack claimed his life a week ago. The sudden death of the father of 12 was a surprise to family members and even bigger shock awaited. Brown's aunt, Sharon Spearman, said, My sister called me and said, Call the funeral director because... My son is missing. Curtis's body was in the care of Collins and Stone Funeral Home in Rockford, Illinois, was sitting in the business's gray Chrysler on Saturday, which, according to police, was an easy target for a thief. Oh, no. It was unlocked and running. Oh. Rockford police said somebody Hold on. hopped into it, not knowing there was a body inside. Yes. He's just strapped in the seatbelt in the back seat? I, I don't. Uh, I'm He's in the box. You dumb. I'm going to guess, yeah, that it's a hearse type vehicle. I see. I, well, I the way you phrase it, it, it made it sound like she drove a Toyota Camry there with him. No, in it. not she. It's it's the funeral homes. He was in the funeral home rig, and the guy went in to get a cup of coffee, and somebody there came along go. and stole the the thing. Now I'm with you. There you go. The vehicle did turn up Sunday in Chicago on the 1400 block of East 87th Street. The problem, Curtis Brown's body was not inside. The 47-year-old's body was found Monday evening in an alley along the 8200 block of Jeez. South Manistee. Wow. Authorities released an image of the man they think swiped the van while the Brown family says they were working through paperwork with the funeral director, Brandy Collins. Speaking out publicly for the first time since the ordeal, Cindy said she didn't learn that her son was missing until hours before he was found. She said, we didn't find out about the van being stolen until the next day because I live in Mississippi. I just had family a million said, dollar idea. Go ahead, really? John. Oh, yeah. The fa uh, family also says that the funeral home stopped taking their calls and they couldn't get any information. That's about it, John. I wonder if a hearse with mm -hmm. a light going parked on a residential street uh, in the crime-ridden neighborhoods of Chicago would act as a deterrent to shooting. I wonder. Um, do they, you know, do five, they have six, six seven, ten hearses would be pretty cheap if you suddenly started uh, uh, seeing results. You just no line shootings. them up? Just, just, no, you just pick the worst blocks where there's been shootings, and you park a hearse there, and then maybe two blocks away there's another one parked there. And I wonder We're if ready. that would be a deterrent. Oh, We're ready to pick you up. Yeah. Oh, no, hmm. I don't think so. I think so. they're still Not pretty dedicated. Yeah. yeah. Those, uh, yeah. those yeah. shooters in Chicago. Shooters wouldn't let that bother them? No. Nah. No. They might try to steal the catalytic murders. All right. Distraction. Thank you, John. So he was in the back of the hearse. Though. Pardon? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Got, it. Got it. Hit the thing. <laughs> you cannot stop him. He'll just make a move. Joe Suchere. I hope uh, I hope Walls doesn't get a hold of this idea, although it, I'm sure he will. 
California lawmakers are pushing legislation that would impose a new tax on the state's wealthiest residents, even if they've already moved to another part of the country. Wait, oh. wait. How is that legal? Yeah. Assemblyman Alex Lee, a progressive Democrat, in other words, a Mysterian, last week introduced a bill in the California state legislature that would impose an extra annual 1.5% tax on those with a worldwide net worth above $1 billion. Okay. Starting in January of 2024, as early as 2026, the threshold for being taxed would drop. Those with a worldwide net worth exceeding $50 million would be hit with a 1% annual tax, while billionaires would still be taxed at 1.5%. Wow. I don't want to read this anymore. What right does this uh, poorly qualified assemblyman have to tax me if I leave the state? I've paid my taxes in your state. I'm now moving. What, what Cali- right does he have to come and get your money? What California wow. should do is tax every single citizen in the United States of America. Yep. <laughs> if you've even thought about Shh. California, you're paying a tax. Yeah. I wouldn't live in that state. Yeah. No so point. we'll have our no IRS. One, I mean, I couldn't afford. Who could afford to live in California? Well, we'll I sh- have uh, IRS taxes and we'll have California yeah. taxes. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, the hell with this. I don't want to read it. Wow. Do you think it'll pass? In that state, sure. There's no sense there. They're letting their rainwater run back into the ocean. Seems unconstitutional to me. No kidding. Only because they come to us. And I got another complaint about me calling them the traveling Lymans. Oh. They're not traveling. They just went to that one place and stopped. No, they travel all over the world. This happens to be where they like a... Was somebody outraged? Uh, yeah, we got some outrage. Oh, Only surprised. because they come to us all the way from uh, Marloth Park in Mpumalanga, South Africa, from the traveling Lymans. It was on this day in 1867. Jan 25. Well, St. Paul's mansion house burned to the ground after a fire started in the kitchen. There was a delay in getting enough hose for a steam fire engine. The circumstances strongly point to incendiarism, incendiarism Incend- as the cause, incendi- noting that a fire was set in the same place that nearly destroyed the hotel back in 1865. Someone was trying oh, to cash in there. Interesting. Huh? Idiocracy. On this day in 1886, one two five, a six-day bicycle race began at the Washington Avenue Rink in Minneapolis with some of the best-known professional male bicyclists in the country competing for the prizes of a medal sponsored by the Minneapolis Tribune and emblematic of the long distance championship of America and an elegant suit of clothes. That was also the prize, (laughs) which would be presented by Oscar the Taylor. Oscar. Held within the rink, the race was also an endurance test for each participant who pedals his high-wheel bicycle with a big front wheel and a small rear wheel around the track for the largest score of miles covered. The winner on January 30, my God, it started on this day, mm-hmm. and it went through January 30, was a dark horse, Albert Schock of Chicago, with 923 miles and five laps. And all he got was a lousy suit and a medal. Wow. That's 154 miles a day he put on. Wow. Holy moly. On this day in 1915. January 25th. City School, I'm sorry, Clay School, served the first penny luncheon in Minneapolis. (laughs) 
A food fraud scam soon followed. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Clay schools served the first penny luncheon in Minneapolis, a financial and dietetic experiment by the Women's Club of Minneapolis and the Parents and Teachers Association. For two cents each, students purchased a meal of creamed rice with raisins and bread and cocoa, a more wholesome repast than many of the kids had been buying in confectionery stores in the neighborhood. If the luncheons proved successful, the Minneapolis Journal noted, the school board will be asked to authorize the establishment in a number of other schools. Well, they called it a penny luncheon. But it was you were charged two pennies, two cents. Yeah, that's a that was wrong. When was pizza day? I bet it wasn't uh, right, yeah. right after the creamed rice. Yeah, gross. Oh, On this day in 1983, oh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit Court in Chicago ruled that the Minnesota Ojibwe, including the Mille Lacs Band, retain the hunting, fishing, and gathering rights guaranteed by 19th century treaties with the federal government. Wasn't that a big to-do when people stood around on the boat ramps up at Mille Lacs and oh, complained it still and is. went the crazy? Are, the and, haters continue to hate about that. Yeah. Well, Talked about what, what they should name the snowplow. Yeah. Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I believe it is snowing. Uh, I don't think it will amount to much. Have um, a care? Well, it get a little greasy. Okay. Have it's you, a little uh, greasy. Seen the roads recently? I have not. Chris, you're going to have a lot of fun oh, driving really? home. <laughs> Is it sticking, Kenny? Is yep. it sticking? Yep. Hold on, I got to do the thing. Wow, look at the old radar. Chris, you should have left for home about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> well, Joe, you're going to have to post the show today. Well, oh, my I God. A, Kenny's not kidding. What the little... hell here? Mm-hmm. What site do you go to to look at the roads? I just pull up my map on my phone. Oh, I see. That's very interesting. It like gives me like how long it's going to take me to get there, and yeah, it's kind of slow. GLers, thank you very, very much. Do us a favor, if you join that town council. I just signed a bunch of new certificates for new members. Are you saying for just ten bucks a month or one hundred dollars a year? I give it a shot. You could have access to twenty four seven members only live audio stream. I think it's kind of a cool idea. Best of segments and replays, full show video archive, including before and after the show, and. Between segments content, and you will receive a weekly newsletter every Saturday from the mayor. Also, if you sign up right now, a $10 Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Center gift card while supplies laugh. Mike's going to take care of your first month. That's pretty nice. Anyway, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's all there for you. 